Today's passage comes from Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 34. And I'll be reading from the ESV. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 34. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? But when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Amen. Thank you, Simon, for reading the word of God and for that faithful prayer. Um, yeah, as we have gathered here also to devote ourselves to the preaching of God's word, I will hand it over now to Pastor David to deliver the word from this passage. Hey guys, uh, will you join me um, as I pray before we get into God's word? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Would you be glorified in our midst today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, for a lot of us, a lot of us right now, um, I think something that's become a real part of our routine, our day, is at 11 a.m., uh, we're, we kind of find ourselves refreshing uh, our browsers on our, on our phones or our computers for something that is known as Gladys O'Clock, right? The latest update on uh, the COVID-19 numbers in New South Wales. And um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but during those updates, there's always like a brief time where the Premier gives uh, her, con her condolences for like a small number of people who have died. And every time I hear that brief announcement, 
uh, that brief time for condolences, I feel really heavy. It's, it's really sobering to just think there's a family, uh, there's a spouse or a sibling, a son or a daughter out there today who must be devastated, right? who must be so uh, just full of grief because they've lost someone. And then, you know, I started to consider, you know, what's not on the news every day? And I came across a Cancer Council Australia report that said one in two people in Australia will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their life. That's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, scary statistic. And then as I uh, looked a bit wider, as I considered what's happening out there in the global community, came across an article uh, talking about how people in New York and New Jersey right now, um, they're experiencing the pandemic, yes, but they're also experiencing uh, Hurricane Ida and uh, the death toll is rising because of that, because there's this hurricane that's just ripping through their homes. You see, like we're living in this time where the reality of sickness and struggle and disaster in our world, it's more apparent than it's ever been before. Like you and I are living in a time where we've become really aware of our own mortality, right? It's become part of the conversation in a way uh, that it's never been before. And I don't say this to just sound morbid. I don't say this to fear monger you. But as we come to the end of our series on Matthew for this year, Matthew wants us to see uh, one profound truth, and it's this. Whether it's COVID-19, whether it's cancer, or a hurricane, or a bushfire, or any natural disaster, Jesus has authority over it all. Jesus has authority over everything in this world. And if you see that, then it's only logical to conclude that Jesus has authority over us, over you and I. And today, if you know that you are weak, if you know that you're mortal, then this is actually really good news. Because the life that Jesus has been teaching his disciples about, right, in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been looking at over the past couple of months, life in the kingdom of heaven, It's a life of weakness and humility. It's a life that doesn't treasure earthly things, but treasures eternal things. Treasures the kingdom and its king, Jesus. Last week we saw that Jesus has authority over all diseases. He's got authority to heal every disease. And that doesn't just show his compassion for us, but that shows us that he's got absolute authority regarding the very things that he's been talking about, regarding the message that he's been preaching about the kingdom, that we as his disciples can actually trust what he's saying and adopt his vision for our lives. Jesus has authority over it all. That's where we're ending our series for this year in Matthew today. He's got authority over us. That's really good news for us. I'm going to say that in three ways. The first way is that Jesus has authority over his disciples. That's what we see in verses 18 to 22. So really what Matthew's point here is that when you are a disciple of Jesus, when you profess to follow him, 
It's going to be evidenced by his authority being there, like being evidence in your life. And in this section, we're going to see two potential disciples come to Jesus. The first guy is a scribe in verse 19. He's like super eager. He says, you know, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus knows as soon as this guy says this, he hasn't taken the time to count the cost of what that actually even means. So he says in verse 20, foxes of holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And what he's really saying there is, listen, if you follow me, there's no guarantee that you'll even have a roof over your head. I'm all you'll have. Are you ready for that? And, you know, I think some of us can identify with this first potential disciple. You know, we have seasons in which we're really eager to follow Jesus, but you know, we find that it fizzles out because we haven't counted the cost. Or maybe, you know, you're someone who has professed uh, faith in Christ, but that's kind of just never really taken off. And it's because we're not ready to give up our earthly security. We're not ready to really count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you must give me your unconditional trust. Not, you know, if I follow you, will I have a roof over my head? If I follow you, will I be okay? It's just, if I follow you, Jesus, you're all I'll have. And you have to be okay with that. You have to give him your unconditional trust. And second potential disciple says to Jesus in verse 21, uh, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury the dead. And look, straight up, that sounds pretty harsh, right? This man, he just wants to give his dead father like a proper funeral. And it is pretty black and white. It's pretty dramatic. But the cost of discipleship is un, an undivided heart to Jesus. It's not one that is indecisive. It's not one that wavers. It's just an undivided, a whole heart given to Jesus. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, or if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to realize what's happening here. Jesus isn't begging for followers. He's not begging for us to follow him as his disciples. He's actually trying to turn us away. Because following him, being a disciple, it is the greatest thing ever. You come under the one who has authority over all things, but the logical conclusion of that is that he will have authority over us as well. And that warrants unconditional trust and an undivided heart. So two questions we need to seriously ask ourselves today as we examine our lives as professed disciples, as those who say, I follow Jesus. And the first one is this. Are we giving Jesus our conditional obedience, are we giving Jesus our unconditional trust? 
And the second one is, are we giving Jesus our indecisive minds? Are we giving Jesus our undivided hearts? Conditional obedience or unconditional trust? Indecisive minds or undivided hearts? So Jesus has authority over his disciples. Are we his disciples? The second thing that we see is that Jesus has authority over the forces of nature. And we see that in verses 23 to 27. It's a really brief but miraculous account. See that Jesus has authority over a natural disaster. He's in a boat with his disciples. Uh, a crazy storm hits them. Um, you know, I was reading this passage again, and it just made me think of uh, an old school uh, George Clooney movie called The Perfect Storm. It's like a fisherman who uh, is running this like small kind of dinghy and this crazy, just outrageous storm overwhelms uh, you know, the boat and I won't spoil what happens for you next. You can check it out if you want to. That's what we kind of see here. And the disciples are crying out for their lives. They literally think they're about to die. And they go to Jesus. They, he's been sleeping and they try to wake him up. And he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And he calms the storm. And, um, you know, this is a pretty familiar passage. I'm sure you've heard it before. Um, and if you're like me, maybe you've heard sermons on this text, which launch into an awesome promise about, you know, Jesus will calm the storm in your life. Right? That's, that's what this passage is about. And I've heard sermons like that where the preacher will take this text and, right, the, the central question that they'll ask is, okay, so what storms are you facing in your life? Right, what storms are you facing in your marriage, in your home, uh, in, your, in, in your health maybe, or in your finances? And the conclusion is, hey, Jesus will calm these storms. And honestly, I was tempted to use that same point. But after reading this text again, after slowly pouring over it again, uh, I've realized that the point of this, this story it's not to ask the question, what storms are you facing in your life? The point of this account is to ask the question that the disciples ask in verse 27, which is, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? See, these guys, the disciples, they were good Jewish men, right? Uh, They've been through Hebrew school. They see Jesus. They see this guy, this man rebuking the wind and the waves. And their minds are, just, their minds are going back to the Exodus story, right? Um, you know, Israelites uh, fleeing Egypt and God splitting the sea into two. You know, they're, they're recalling some of the Psalms that they grew up seeing as, as, as young men, right? Psalm 89, uh, verse 9, you rule, God, the raging sea, when its waves rise, you still them. These are the things that are coming to their minds. And in this moment, the disciples are realizing that this man on the boat with us, he's not just a man. He's no ordinary man. This is God. And if we would realize the same thing, then we will understand that the authority that belongs to God is the authority that belongs to Jesus. 
And that means if you're a disciple of Jesus, your life cannot be a mockery of Jesus's authority. Your life cannot look like a profession to follow him. But your life only looks like Jesus has the authority of a man. We can't just live as if you know, having faith in him just means that we acknowledge that he exists, that he gave these teachings, that he did these miraculous things. And we can't live like that if the authority that belongs to God is the authority that belongs to Jesus. If that's true, if Jesus is not just a man, but if Jesus is God, if we're his disciples, that does mean we give him our unconditional trust and undivided hearts. And if we do, then the promise of the story is not that the storms in your life will end. That's not the conclusion. The promise is that God himself in the person of Jesus Christ will be with you in the storm. See, brothers and sisters, you are very well maybe going through some storms. But you are not alone in your storm. And you are safe, just like the disciples were, because the God of the universe is right there in the boat with you. Thirdly and finally, we see that Jesus has authority over demons. We just saw that he has, he has authority over his disciples. He's got authority over the forces of nature. And finally, Jesus has authority over demons. Uh, it's the second miracle story that we see in chapter 8 occurs here in verses 28 to 34. And here we see uh, quite a violent account of demons possessing two men. And then they encounter Jesus. And what we see is that demons have power. Yeah, they have sometimes great power to possess uh, men, but they do not have unlimited power. And here they encounter the one who has absolute authority over them. So what they do is they, they meet Jesus and they pale. They, they pale before his authority. And they plead with him to cast them to herd uh, to, to, to cast him into a herd of pigs. And, and he does uh, what they plead for. It's just interesting to note here that the demons, they hate Jesus, right? They, they, don't, they don't honor him. They despise him, but they're, they're powerless against him. They're so powerless against him that they ask his permission to go into a herd of pigs. And here's what that means for us. If you're in Christ, if you're under his authority, no demon, no, no demonic force, not Satan, can do anything in this world or in your life apart from the sovereign permission of God. If Satan is a lion. That's what we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. But what we see here is that he is a lion on a leash. And God's the one who holds the leash. No demonic influence, no demonic power has authority over your life. Jesus does. 
And do you see how this passage encourages, uh, encourages us ultimately uh, not to fear, to not be afraid? I know that's kind of like the default response, I think, for all of us in this time as you know, we you know, go through a pandemic-affected world. You know, we're, we're in the midst of a world of pain and suffering. It's very apparent that many of us are living in fear and anxiety and worry. You turn on Gladys O'Clock at 11 a.m. Every, every day and you just see that number just, just go up and up. And uh, you know, add, added to that, there are things going on in our personal lives that I feel out of our control. They only add to that anxiety. They only add to that worry. And we wonder what's going to happen in this situation or that situation. And, you know, sometimes we actually even lack the awareness and belief of the demons that we see here. Because, you know, they had a great fear. And the reason for that fear was because they knew who Jesus was. They, they, they knew his authority. But, but our problem is that we often fear because we don't know who Jesus is. And we don't know his authority. And that tendency to fear, that's, that's precisely the reason why we must remember the authority of Jesus. See, Jesus is the Son of God. He has all authority over disease, disaster, and demons. And if we would give to Jesus our unconditional trust as his disciples, if we would give to him an undivided heart, we will become the most secure people in this world. In a world that has so many reasons on a daily basis to make us feel afraid and anxious and worried. Uh, I remember hearing the story of a missionary. Uh, he went out to one of the Pacific islands and he, he got there and um, it was like an unreached people group. So he, the language wasn't very well known. And he, he spent a lot of time there trying to get to know them, trying to understand the language. And eventually uh, you know, he got some help and uh, he was able to get you know, help, help with interpretation. And as he was trying to share the gospel with the natives uh, on this island, he realized that the native language didn't have a word for faith. Right? And that's like an important element of the gospel. Right, to put your faith in Jesus. And so he, he was like really struggling to talk about uh, faith, talk about the gospel with the natives. And one day, he's just kind of looking out at the beach and he sees a young man uh, coming out of the water. He's walking across the beach and the young man uh, walks over to a hammock that was tied between two trees. And he just jumps and he lands in the hammock. And straight away, the missionary grabs his interpreter and he says, that's it. Like, what do you call that? What, what is that? Like, he knew that the hammock was going to hold him. He knew that it would be safe. And that is the word that they use for faith to this day. That's what it means to have faith in Jesus. Like he asks of his disciples, in verse 26, it's to know that when you give your unconditional trust 
not your conditional obedience and your undivided heart, not your indecisive mind. When you give your unconditional trust and your undivided heart to Jesus in every decision, in every aspect and area of your life, you'll be safe. You'll be held. Not in a worldly sense where you might always be comfortable or prosperous or suffering free, but you will be safe in the hands of the one who has all authority over all things in this world and over us. You'll be safe in the hands of Jesus. He will hold you. And I just want to leave with you you know, practical application. How do we give our unconditional trust and our undivided hearts to Jesus? And I think it just means that if you are serious about discipleship, if you are serious about following Jesus, I think it means that in every single decision, every opportunity, every moment of every day, every thought that you have, we don't think up conditions for obedience. We don't entertain indecision, but we jump headfirst into following Jesus, into obeying Jesus as his disciples. Right? Every single decision, every moment, every thought. When we come to that friend who we feel like, you know, if I talk about Jesus with this guy, he's probably going to reject me. We share the gospel with them anyway. Because we give Jesus our unconditional trust and our undivided hearts that he's the one who will transform this person, that he's the one who will be real and personal in his person to this friend. You know, when we get to a point where, you know, we have some free time, we have some downtime and I know for many of us, especially the parents, that's precious time, right? That's, uh, that's time where you feel like you can recharge, you can do the things that you want to do. Now, I'm not saying like those things are ever bad, but, you know, there are times where we'll have that free time. And as a disciple of Jesus, there is a spirit-led prompting to use that time to be with Jesus to be in his word and instead of you know, checking out social media or a show to give our unconditional trust, to give our undivided heart to Jesus, to jump head first into following him. I think it might look like just setting apart that time and giving it to Jesus, being with him in prayer and in his word. Or, you know, I think it would look like giving generously of our time and our resources to the needy and to the low, right? Not hoarding our resources for ourselves or to the people you know, that we like, giving handouts. But it means that you know, in, in any or every situation where we, where we recognize and see uh, that this brokenness, that there is a neediness, that there is a poverty, 
And if we are serious about following Jesus, then we ask the question of how can I be generous? Not just with my finances, how can I be generous with my time? Well, you know, this is a big one for many of us. You know, um, when we find ourselves in the midst of relational conflict, how do we give our unconditional trust and undivided heart to Jesus? I think it means saying, I'll tie to myself. I'll lay my life down because that's what Christ did for me. He laid his life down. He humbled himself in love for my sanctification. And, you know, so rather than being self-seeking and self-serving in those times, you know, to give our trust, to give our undivided heart to Jesus, I think that's what it could look like. And I think when we do that, we really take seriously giving Jesus this kind of unconditional trust and undivided heart, we will experience an otherworldly security. As disciples, we'll be safe in his hands. He will hold us fast. Do you know what that feels like? It's unexplainable. It's inexplicable. But it is the safest, most secure place that you can ever be. It's so wonderful. It's so comforting. It's so good. It's the kind of life that attracts others, not to you, but to the Lord of your life. So if I could ask that you seriously think about this with me, what would it mean to give Jesus your unconditional trust and an undivided heart? Let's pray. Father God, uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for the gospel of Matthew. And we thank you for the person of Jesus. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, you had it uh, just in your mind to initiate this plan uh, to save us from the beginning of time. And who would have thought that you would do it uh, through sending your son uh, to be amongst us, uh, to live as we live, but uh, without sin, and ultimately to die the death that you know, we should have died because we sinned against you, because we fall short of your holiness and your goodness. And Lord, we, we thank you that uh, he rose again and he's with you right now, making intercession for your saints. He's making intercession so that we would be sanctified, that we would be changed and transformed more and more every day. And even if it seems really slow and we can't see it as much, it's happening. According to the power of the Holy Spirit that you've given to us. And Lord, um, I, I pray for uh, our church. I pray for everyone listening here today. And, and Lord, I do pray that we would recognize and have a conviction of the authority of Jesus over our lives. 
Lord, I pray that we will recognize that this is not uh, domineering or manipulative or, or, or harsh, oppressive authority, but it is the authority of a good king, a benevolent king who first laid down his life for his people. I pray that as we reflect on that, as we meditate on that wonderful authority, that as he invited us, that we would come to him, that we would find rest for our heavy ladenness, for our, labor, for our labors, that we would find rest in him, for his yoke is easy and his burden, his authority is good. Lord, we want to take seriously what it means to be a disciple. Help us to do that. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.